began diving into this passage of John chapter 8, we saw Jesus boldly and clearly declare, I am the light of the world, which you would think would be a wonderful thing for people to hear that the light has come into the world, but he no sooner gets the words out of his mouth, I am the light of the world, when people immediately, the religious leaders around him immediately begin to object. They object on two levels. One, they object to the substance of saying the thing in and of itself, but two, they object to the source. They object to this idea that you could declare yourself to be the light of the world. And Jesus, in response to that, says, no, 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 no. Jesus says, I can with validity and with legitimacy declare myself to be the light of the world because I am, I am. That's who I am. It would be wrong if any of you declared yourselves to be the light of the world, but because I am truth, I understand truth, I can make the declaration. And in addition to that, the statement is true. He is, in fact, the light of the world. And Jesus raises or makes clear the stakes that are involved in how one responds to him as the light of the world. On the one hand, if you believe in him, if you believe that statement and that being true about him, you have in your life light and life. If, on the other hand, you disbelieve that, you say that that's not true and you are not true, then, Jesus makes it very clear, you will die in your sin. You will die unforgiven for not believing that. Now, no doubt most who were there in the crowd continued to dispute, continued to disagree with the things that he was saying, but we had this little, little parting of the clouds, this little clearing that seemed to have taken place in the very last verse that we read last week, namely verse 30, where it said, as he was saying these things, many believed in him, which sounds hopeful, it sounds good that many believed in him even at this stage in his ministry. But that brings us up to our reading today. So here today, the word of truth from the mouth of truth, the Son of God, beginning at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, 
you do what you have heard from your father? They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Serious words about true freedom. Lord, we pray with humility because we hear these words and we know that there is truth in these words, truth that we would not grasp were it not for you. And so we ask, penetrate our minds and our hearts today with your word. May we be found of you, in you, loving you. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, two questions, serious questions. What is truth? And question number two, what is freedom? What is truth and what is freedom? Towards the end of this gospel, we have the classic exchange that takes place between Jesus and Pilate. Jesus says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Right? That's the classic question, what is truth? But here, in this passage, there is another question that's right up alongside of the truth question because Jesus has brought together two things. He's brought together the idea of what is true, what is truth, and the idea of freedom. That these two things, truth and freedom, are inseparably linked together. You can't actually pull them apart. They are things that are linked together, and thus the question, what is freedom? 
we are Americans and Americans, and America has much to say about the idea of freedom. We love it, right? That's who we are. That's part of our DNA. We, we love freedom. We love liberty. We love the idea of independence. We celebrate it all the time. We promote it. We export it. I was watching someone just last night sing about freedom. And we fight for freedom. We love the idea of freedom. And so if you came up to your average American and said, listen, I have some truth that will set you free, they might respond to you by saying, wait, 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 wait. I'm an American. I'm not enslaved to anybody. Now, it took us a couple of generations to figure out what that meant to be a free people living in this land. But we might say exactly that same thing. I'm an American. I'm not enslaved. I have freedom. I know what freedom is. But what is freedom? Well, let's ask this question to see different kinds of freedom. What is freedom if you are a car company or an airline marketing your product? Well, maybe you might say we're free to move about the country. Freedom of movement is what freedom is all about. What is freedom if you are a financial planning company? Freedom from the restrictions of not having enough money, right? That's the idea of freedom that a financial planner wants to sell to you. Uh, wh what is freedom as defined by a pharmaceutical company? Freedom from what ails you, right? Freedom from the restrictions that a particular disease puts on top of you. And if you ask the question in our culture, what is sexual freedom? What's that kind of freedom like? All kinds of answers that are out there. The ideas are, are clear. You, you've got freedom to go where you want, when you want, freedom to do what you want to do, freedom to discover what is true, freedom to discover your true self, freedom to discover your authentic self. I caught a snippet on a show of someone who just led an awful life after leaving their family, just a, a, a life of unchecked sensuality, celebrating it because they had found their true and authentic self. They were free from those old social conventions and they had found their despicable, authentic self without strictures, without worrying about what others think or what others say or what anybody else wants or what anybody else needs or what some pastor is saying to you. We want to be free. But the question remains, what is true freedom? Truth and freedom, what is true freedom? Is it the Mark Twain freedom of Huckleberry Finn drifting off separated from his community, just doing whatever he wants to do with
without reference to any of those old stodgy people who would like to put him in some kind of a box, or is it something else? Well, I don't want to diminish I, in this sermon the value of political freedom. There's much to be said for the idea of political freedom, for the reality of political freedom. But Jesus has something else to say about freedom. Jesus is speaking about something else. Jesus is speaking here of an ultimate freedom. And the freedom of which he speaks, just to help us see it and to help us to understand it from the rest of Scripture, the freedom of which he speaks is a freedom that could apply to a slave in the Roman Empire even if they were never actually set free. Even while remaining a slave, someone could have the true freedom of which Paul speaks, of Paul, of which Jesus speaks in this passage. Someone could have, think of Paul for a moment, freedom while they're sitting in prison. They could be chained and have the true freedom that is spoken of here. There is a freedom that is spoken of here that even if you are in a cubicle from 8 to 5 every day, you can have freedom. Even if your life is full of responsibilities and it seems to you that there's absolutely no freedom in your schedule at all, there is a freedom, a true freedom, that is offered to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a freedom that transcends poverty, and there's a freedom that has been purchased for us even by one who was nailed to a cross, who at the moment of being nailed to a cross, though bound, was free. And here's the freedom. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's the declaration. That's the proclamation from the one who has come into the world to bear witness to the truth. From the one who came into the world to say, I am, and this is what is true. I'm offering to you true freedom. Truth that will set you free. Now, as we begin then to look at this passage today, we want to look at what takes up the bulk of this section that we've read in John chapter 8 in reaction to that statement. And, and, and the, the thing that begins immediately after he says it is, is this idea of, wait a minute, what did you exactly say there again? Let me try to understand what you said. Is, what's the presupposition behind offering someone freedom? What does it presuppose to offer someone freedom? I mean, let me put it this way. What's the presupposition behind an Emancipation Proclamation or the Emancipation Proclamation? Well, you get it, right? You, you know what the presupposition is behind that. The, the religious leaders caught the presupposition 
that is behind it as well. If you are proclaiming freedom via some sort of truth, and that particular truth is found in you, if that's what you are proclaiming, then your presupposition is what? I, your hearer, am ignorant, powerless, helpless, and I am what? A slave. I'm a slave. If, if you're going to say, I can set you free, what you're saying about me is I am, in fact, a slave who needs deliverance. Now, let that sink in for just a moment. Ignorant, helpless, powerless, slave. How do you hear it? It's hard to get into this situation. How would you hear it? Let me suggest something. If you were a slave in the Roman Empire, you know how you would have heard that? You'd have probably said, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, that is exactly true. But if you're a Jewish religious leader listening to Jesus who just told you this, and, and you're looking around like, was he talking about you? I think he was talking about me. I think he was talking about us when he just said that. If you're in that position, or if you are you, now, it all sounds well and good from a pulpit because you're not taking it personally. If I say to you, you're ignorant. In and of yourself, you're ignorant, powerless, helpless, slave, enslaved. But if we took it on personally, well, it's offensive, right? It's offensive to say that to someone. And you want to contest it, and you want to protest it. And that's exactly what we see the bulk of going on in the passage that is before us today. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They caught it. It, it didn't go past them when Jesus said, I can set you free. Now, politically speaking, Politically speaking, it's clear to us, and it was clear to them, they were not unaware of the fact that as the Jewish nation, they had in fact been enslaved for a lot. I don't want to say all or most, but a lot of their history, right? So they were enslaved by the Egyptians, they were enslaved by the Babylonians, they were enslaved by the Persians, they were enslaved by the Greeks, and at present time, they are in fact enslaved, or at least under the, the authority of the Roman Empire. So when they hear this speaking and they respond to it, they actually go beyond the present circumstances. They actually look beyond that to say, okay, he must not be talking about actual slavery here. He must be talking about something else. And so they begin to speak of something else as well. They go beyond politics and they go back to origin, who we are as a people. And the kind of things that are floating around in their mind are the promises that God has said to them, the declarations that God has made. We are the chosen people of God. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are, and I'm using obviously Peter here, but he's using terms from the Old Testament, a people 
for God's own possession. And you're calling us ignorant. Well, how can you call us ignorant? We've got the law. We've got the testimonies. We've got the covenant. We've got the law of Moses. Who are you calling ignorant? We've got the Pharisees. We've got the scribes. We've got the teachers. And all of that, all of these things source from our origin, Abraham. In Abraham, we were born free. We were born of fidelity. We, we weren't born of prostitution. We know who our parents were. We're not mixed with other nations. Abraham's blood, check it out, Abraham's blood runs in our veins. We can tell you who were our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents. We can take it back and show you who we are. And as if somehow that weren't enough, that we are Abraham's children and we have Abraham's blood in our veins, Verse 41, they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Well, trump that one. Trump that. We, we not only have Abraham, we have one father, and our father is God. Remember back in Exodus, they may have said to Jesus, God said, Israel is my firstborn son. Now, maybe not throughout the Old Testament in a pervasive way did they refer to God as Father. But there are times, and it's clear in that kind of language from the Exodus, Israel is my firstborn son, that they could claim God as their father. Free father means free people. Take that. We are not slaves of anyone. What have you got to say that. Now, theologically speaking, that seems like a great defense. It seems impregnable, impenetrable, insurmountable. There's no way to get over this wall that they've established of saying, this is who we are, and we're free. And Jesus blows it over with one sentence. With, with one sentence. He doesn't even have to huff and puff. He just gives one little breath and he leaves. The Jews and all humanity gasping. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. That's what the truth says. That's what the son, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You don't do what God commanded. You don't do what Abraham did. You are a slave. You want to kill me. You are ignorant. You're ignorant. You don't know where I came from. You don't know who my father is. And for that matter, you don't know who your father is. You're confused about your own parentage. To be concrete, you are enslaved not only to sin, but to the devil, your father. 
your father, who was a liar and a murderer from the beginning, and that is what is happening right before us right now. You are doing what your father did. You are full of untruth. You are not believing the truth that I am telling to you. Therefore, you are in error. You are in falsehood. You are liars, and you are a murderer, just like your father. And that's why we look back this morning at that Genesis chapter 3 passage to see that again. Under the guise, what, what is Satan selling? What Satan is selling, what he's offering is freedom. Satan is offering the freedom of self-fulfillment, of self-determination. Do what you want to do, and you'll be like God. Do what you like to do. Satan offered up a bill of goods, and we bought it. The offer sounded so good to us, so sweet to us, but it was not the truth. It was a lie. He offered something that he could not deliver, or at least the delivery of it, in fact, murdered us. Killed us. Killed humanity. We ate the lie. We swallowed death. And by so doing, we forfeited our inheritance. There's another picture of it, of course, in Genesis. It's the picture of Esau, who for a pot of stew forfeited his inheritance, which is to say forfeited our sonship. Forfeited our sonship. Exchanged fathers. Said, thank you very much, I'll take another father. I'll listen to another father and take my cues from him. And now, verse 44, your will, you are your, of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Now what we find at work in us is to do that which he desires, because he has become our dad, and we bear fruit according to our kind. For all of our protestations of our goodness, for all of the statements that we humanity might make saying we're not enslaved to anyone, we can determine that which is good and we can do that which is good. The one who is full of truth says to humanity, think again. That's the presupposition. But it's not the end for Jesus. It's not the end of talking about freedom because what Jesus does is he offers to slaves the, the path of freedom, the source of freedom, and he lays it out in front of those who are enslaved, which is everyone. The path of freedom is through the Son. Slaves may reside. The Son abides. Slaves may come into the house every once in a while. The Son remains in the house. Verse 35, 
the son, Jesus says, slaves do not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And because the son remains forever, the son has the authority to set you free. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You slaves need the son who has the right relationship with the father to set you free from the tyranny of the one you have chosen to make your father. The son has the authority to change your parentage. He is the legitimate son. How is he the legitimate son? He's the legitimate son because he was sent by the father, and I won't reference all these to the text. He was sent by the father. He has seen the father. He has heard from the father. And on behalf of the father, having heard from from the father, he speaks the truth. He speaks truth about his father. Verse 45 I tell the truth. I tell the truth. I'm the one who bears witness to the truth. And in addition to that, he always does his father's will, which is to say he bears fruit according to his kind. That's what we saw, verse 29 from last week. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. In a word, the son is not a slave because the son has never sinned. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The son is not a slave because the son has never sinned. That's the importance of him then saying to them, who convicts me of sin? Not not who accuses me. Anybody can accuse. Who convicts? Who can bring the conviction down that I am a sinner? And since none can, the son therefore has and retains his rights as a son. And if that son, that truth-speaking, truth-living son, says to you, I can set you free, then that which he offers is to be free indeed, or to be free truly. There's a path to freedom, there's a source, and then in this passage there is a call to freedom through the truth. Now let's be clear because of the way we hear some of this language. When we hear that there's a freedom through truth, this is not a call to hit the books to start studying, to go to college, because that kind of truth will set you free. Now, hitting the books and reading and studying and going to college, fine. They're all good and wonderful things. But that's not what we're talking about here, because a child can grasp the truth of what Jesus is saying right here. The simple-minded can hear this and believe it. Even the people who don't have their own personal Bibles can abide in the Word. Right? Most of human history hasn't had their own personal Bibles. Don't hear this to say, Jesus, they pulled out your own copy of the scriptures. Nobody had it. Even people who never had all of this could abide in the word of God. What they heard or memorized or the preaching or the son himself, they could abide in him. The illiterate and the uneducated can get it 
because it is given. Because it is a truth given. Jesus asks a haunting question in verse 46. Why do you not believe me? If you're here today, you're going, I'm not sure I believe Jesus. Hear the question from him. Why do you not believe me? That's what he wants. He wants belief. Belief in who he is. Belief in what he's saying. Belief about the one of whom he is speaking. Belief in what he is offering. Belief about the true state of ourselves. And he clarifies what kind of belief that is. Now let's go back to the beginning. We were kind of hopeful. We were kind of optimistic when we read about people who believed in him. Many believed in him. Verse 30. But Jesus has seen already in this gospel and rebuked fickle, shallow, partial belief before. He sees right through it. And he seems to do so here again in this one. And, and at the end of verse 31, belief is explained then by this particular important word in this gospel. What does it mean to believe? Well, to believe is to abide. To abide. And I'm not going to go through the other places in the gospel where this word is used because it's a lot of places. To remain. To stay. To reside. To dwell with. Slaves don't remain. They don't abide. Sons abide. Jesus doesn't want us, with respect to his house, to just stop by now and again. The Son offers to us and requires of us that we move in. That we abide with him. Freedom is not just getting out of the house. If you're young right now, you might think freedom is getting out of the house. Freedom is getting into the house. Getting into the Father's house. Jesus demands a persevering, enduring faith. Those of you who are here who are young, children, people in middle school, people in high school, you believe, you do well, it's a good start, it's a good start. But what Jesus says to you is abide, abide, remain, because persevering faith, abiding faith is what the Son of Man wants. And it's what the Son of Man demands from us. Abide. True freedom has one more word that explains it. It amplifies believe and abide. And that word is found in verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, 
you would love me. Jesus wants you to believe in him. Jesus wants you to abide in him. And one more thing. Love me. Don't just hang around. Love me. I love you. Those whom I call, love me. That's what I'm looking for, says the Lord of glory. True freedom is found in loving Jesus. And now listen to this as it wraps back around. True freedom does not set us adrift in the world to make our own way. True freedom is a love that binds us to Jesus Christ. Not adrift. Love is binding between the beloved and the lover. Sweet bonds, those are. In freedom, we are bound to the one who loves us. True freedom is the freedom willingly to be bound to the other and for the other. And so the true son is bound on a cross because he loves. And he's bound to take off the bonds of slavery and say, willingly, let's put on together the bonds of love. The things that tie us together. Westminster Confession, it's on page 7 of your bulletins, of Christian liberty. Listen to what you've been freed from and unto. The liberty which Christ hath purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their freedom from the guilt of sin, the condemning wrath of God, the curse of the moral law, and their being delivered from this present evil world bondage to Satan and dominion of sin, from the evil of afflictions, the sting of death, the victory of the grave, and everlasting damnation. To be freed from those things by the Son is to be free indeed. But if that were it, if that were it, it would only be a partial freedom. It would leave you in the wilderness. It would leave you out of the house of bondage, Egypt, and leave you in the wilderness. But instead, true freedom brings you in, and that's the turn that it then takes. As also in their free access to God, in their yielding obedience unto him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and a willing mind. We come back in to do what the Son did. I do all the things that are pleasing to him. true son has the authority to unshackle slaves of sin and the devil 
and to bid them abide in the house as children, as sons of God. The true son allows us through himself to call his father our father. A chain of parentage that allows us to be back in that house. His testimony is true. And so, believe, abide, and love the Son. And you will be free indeed. Lord God, there are times when in our lives we seem to prefer the shackles. Forgive us. Break us and free us. Free us to love you. Free us to love one another. Free us to hear. Work in us. We pray in your name, the true Son. Amen.